Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hit Recap and Review Podcast. Good. Weird. Uh, great. I am your special little host for this episode, Jesse Wind. And from the spooky and mysterious state of Texas, Patrick Ramirez. Hey, hello, this is Hukul Patrick. I am here for the, this review. Oh, it's so great to have you with us this week, Hercule. Uh, also joining me is your favorite gender ambiguous comrade, John. Bang, bang, bang. It's John time, baby. Oh, fuck. He just killed a man. I think we might have our own podcast. No, wait, I know you did it, so it's not a mystery. Never mind. What the mystery is, which of the three shots killed him? <laughs> yes, because we all have guns and we all just shot. But who knows what bullet killed them? Mm-hmm. Today, we're discussing the 2023 film A Haunting in Venice which is a loose adaptation of Agatha Christie's 1969 novel, Halloween Party, with a weird apostrophe between the E's. Our movie starts in 1947. Hercule Poirot lives in retirement in Venice, employing an ex-police officer to act as his bodyguard. On Halloween, mystery writer Ariadne Oliver convinces Poirot to attend a seance to expose famous medium Joyce Reynolds as a fraud. Rowena has hired Joyce to help her commune with her daughter, Alicia, who reportedly committed suicide after her fiancé, Chef Maxime Gerard, broke off their engagement. It's a mystery. It's a damn mystery. (laughs) Give me some brief thoughts before we dive deep. There were several, several murders. Yeah. And a big old mystery. Tell you what. I loved the characters, like the ensemble cast of, uh, of performers and the character work that was going on with, you know, them interacting. Uh, there was a lot of charisma in the cast. I was sad that Michelle Yeoh was the first one to die. I'll say that yeah. because... Spoiler. All the other characters were good, but I don't think they carried the movie quite like Michelle Yeoh did. So. Oh no, she was chewing the scenery. Oh my god. She was also I mean, chewing the scenery was... in the fiction of the movie because she was also fake in the movie. <laughs> exactly, yes. That's more specifically what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, she was like the most interesting character because she was kind of... Uh... She's playing two two different characters at the same time, and she was the most intriguing one. And but she's barely in it, you know. It's yeah, like five minutes, not even five minutes. I feel like. Yeah, I love how interesting her character was talking to Poirot mm-hmm. while he, they're kind of tit for tat back and forth. Is magic real? Does it matter if magic's real? What does it change if if any of this is fake? If none of it matters, all of it matters. And there's just this weird like sexually charged back and forth. I I do like that Poirot Hercupia Oral <laughs> is a uh he's kinda like a Titan and there's not a lot of people who are really on his level. And mm-hmm. I like that in this movie he is face to face with two people who are on his level and they're both women. And it's not like emasculating to him or anything. It's just literally like, yeah, sometimes that happens. And <laughs> um, it, it also, I mean, 
I don't know. Tina Fey was the other part of this movie that was really doing it for me. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess we can talk about that later. I don't want to like derail already. I, I like how in the, the Japanese version of this, uh, is just called Mr. Satan. Is that real? What? Is that no. a joke? That's a Dragon Ball joke. Are you taking a piss, oh, mate? Okay. I'm taking the piss out of you, <laughs> mate. I think you are. I am. Okay, so this movie, we're going to start with my... Oh, yeah, Patrick, did you give me a brief impression on this? How'd this rub you? It was okay. I thought um, it was like a kind of a cool premise. I liked the... Mostly I like like the cinematography and how the scenes and like the lenses they use. That was really cool. It really felt like an old-timey kind of spooky, creepy movie. And they got John the feeling right. was giving a huge thumbs up to Patrick on yeah. that one. Yeah, the feel is what I loved about this movie. The story, I thought, was a little underwhelming, kind of. Um, and then I felt like some of the characters were a little flat. But <clears throat> overall, I think the, the feeling is what really got me. Like, you really do feel like it is a haunted a haunted house. Agreed. That that's It took me a minute to acclimate myself to the tone the movie was presenting. Um, and I think that's really important for any movie is to take it on the terms that like it, it is providing itself to you. Um, I probably 20 ish minutes in, I started really settling into this feels like clue almost. It's like clue and spooky. Uh, yes. and, or, and then uh, it, it preemptively, I had someone describe this to me as a really good Scooby Doo mystery. And so this larger than life theatrical personas and caricaturized people and like borderline borderline campiness to this detect this whole th- mystery. Uh, I started to eat up the deeper I-, I got into it, the deeper and deeper and deeper twist after twist after twist. But uh, let's get into the movie. So can uh, I bring up one more thing before we start the plot? Oh, pretty please. I loved that there were almost no Italians in this movie. <laughs> oh my god. That it was sounds... just such a funny like thing about the movie that it's set in Venice and it's like I don't know, a French dude and an American woman and like isn't isn't his uh his like bodyguard for uh Italian? He might be the only Port one, Foglio? but like the the brother and sister are Hungarian. And it's like everybody is from anywhere except Italy for some reason. <laughs> Dude, I did not notice that. <laughs> There's That's a lot awesome. of NPC Italian, so like in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, so this movie, uh, I'll pick up from where my description ends. Rowena has hired Joyce to help her commune with her daughter, Alicia, who reportedly committed suicide after her fiancé, Chef Maxime Gerard broke off their engagement. Poirot has had his... Let me try that again. Poirot has had his uh, interest peaked. He is at the seance. Uh, he is now... We're now in the middle of... Is this lady a shim-sham? Do you guys have anything to hit on before we enter the seance? Um, I kind of liked... The I, I had mentioned the character work, and this is sort of a through line, but the fact that Poirot is a veteran 
and uh, served in, I believe, World War II. If if I'm World War One, World War One. I? I thought uh-huh. he said two world wars at one point. Or did he, he said say he's two lived wars? through two world wars, but he's served in the first one. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So he yeah. was okay. That makes sense since he's like a little bit older. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, for sure. And this movie takes place two years after World War II would have ended. Right. Yeah. Oh, that setting too. I guess I should probably mention i like that time period i mean it was a horrible time period i don't want to say i like it Uh, a horrible Mm -hmm. thing had just happened but it's also stories from that area it's a very interesting period in uh like north atlantic history so uh yeah it was interesting and then the the sham is she a sham or not thing um i thought right away that she was and i wasn't really concerned about that i was very convinced this mm-hmm. was not a supernatural movie um right. i did question that belief at certain points which we will get to later but mm-hmm. um early on i was just more interested in the dialogue between michelle yo's character and poirot himself where even though we know she's a fake and i assume she was a fake she was still making a really good case for spooky stuff mm-hmm 100%. Um, which is the part of the movie where I realized, oh, she's on his level. You know, this is like a dark Poirot. This is if he was, instead of an investigator, if he was up to, you know, plots hijinks. and hijinks. Exactly. So uh, I, I found out apparently that character in the book is like a 13 year old girl. Whoa. The, <laughs> yeah. The uh, uh, Yao character. Um. But I don't know too much about that, so I can't dissect it. I just sh- like that's interesting. That's everything I read about this was like very loose interpretation. He kept like the party on Halloween part, and that's the most of what he kept. Um, but uh, yeah, so his as I had said, Poirot's writer friend entices him out of retirement uh, to examine something that she says. Uh, I'm as smart as you, and I can't figure out what the fuck's going on. And so we're in this seance, and Poirot... Also, the setting, real cute. Like, getting... Like, from the exterior at first, the movie's kind of light and pretty and shows Venice. Um, Beautiful. Uh, He has a bodyguard who throws people into the fucking river who try to follow him and harass him to do cases. And so I, I think the tone starting off was really interesting for how fucking gothic and spooky it gets. <laughs> but mm-hmm. oh, and to touch on what John was saying, I immediately thought that she was gonna be uh, communing with the the spirits. And I, you thought I'm, she was real, real, yeah, okay. And mm, even interesting. And then as soon as we get into the seance, Poirot's like, uh, "There's someone hiding in the chimney, motherfuckers." Exposes so I found the whole <laughs> assistant in the chimney. Yeah. I still thought I, it was going to be real after that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I knew. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Patrick. Well, I was going to say, like, knowing this is a Poirot movie, I knew that it's it's going to be like, I thought it was going to be 100% based in reality, right? Because that's what kind of stories uh, Poirot is in. They're based in reality no matter how far fetched they are. But this being a spooky time when. Even when you're seeing like Michelle Yeoh spinning around, like doing the voices, I, and like I kind of was having the same reaction that Poirot was having. He was like, "Just fucking solve this." I thought, "Wait, how's she doing that?" <laughs> you know, kind of like, "Well, she's obviously not really communicating with the spirits, but she's doing something kind of spooky, scary." 
Yeah, and that's part of the movie that works with me is that, I mean, maybe you, I'm curious what you have to say about this, Patrick, but like, for me, it felt like, you know, he was a guy who was in a slump that kind of felt like he was out of the game and maybe his best days are behind him or whatever. And then he sort of organically stumbles upon this and immediately he is invested in it because he wants to know if what he's seeing is real or not. Yeah, I think that's what. Wait, uh, starts lighting that, rekindling that fire that he had to like solve cases. Because uh, in the beginning of the movie, they say like he's he's not taking cases. His his bodyguard's whole purpose is to turn people away all day, so he just sits alone in his little palazzo. But um, this eating is the pastries. first time eating pastries. Very excited about pastries, not cases <laughs> that come twice a day. I think they said. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So this is what gets him going again because it is weird, and it's not immediately obvious to him. I don't think in the beginning how she's doing some of this. I. I agree. I was like, I still almost feel like they were like, yeah, she just fakes some of this to make the unexciting, more reality of this situation more of a, a um, like a spectacle, a spectacle for people. And I was like, yeah, that makes total fucking sense. Like, I forgot uh, they I, said that. Yeah, I tried to believe her all the way through. Even I think the thing that makes the only thing that actually sows true doubt in this is that little boy being like, no, she's a fucking fraud. I, I talk to them. She does it. They don't even like her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I almost, and I almost wonder if, uh, yeah, I mean, the little boy is a question for sure. I, I was thinking either maybe he had some of the honey too. We're getting so far ahead of ourselves and I do apologize, but you brought up the boy. Uh, maybe he was just like, that was his coping mechanism or something. Like he didn't have any peers to like share his burden with. So he was like inventing these like spirits of children who had suffered in the home previously. It was like a, I don't know, dude. Okay. So I got to find out if we fundamentally disagree on something right now or not. And if you're listening to this podcast to hear this predominantly in chronological order, you're going to want to plug your fucking ears for the next <laughs> 15 seconds. Do you not think ghosts are real in this movie? Cause they're fucking real in this movie. No, I don't think they are. You're fucking kidding me right now. <laughs> I don't think they necessarily are. I think the movie is leaving it ambiguous on purpose. I think it answers that question. I think it's it's ambiguous and it's answered a different way until the very end because you can explain it with the powers of suggestion and being under the influence of like toxic drugs. Totally. And so if you pulled like your fingers out of your ears and you're back with us. Keep going, right. Patrick. Until the until the end, then like because it explains it in the scientific way. I think up until the end, and then you kind of like, I, I well think, maybe there's some lingering effects of that tea still well, happening. Let's just get to it when when we get to it then, because I'm curious why you think that at the end. Yeah, I want to hear I, that. I think touching on us like dissecting this lady as a fraud. I think the one of the strengths of this movie is going back and forth from giving logical explanations and then leaving open supernatural explanations. And I think this contrast back and forth and I'll let us touch on it at the end when we get to the honey, but it's just, I fuck it. Let's just keep going. Joyce spins around and Alicia's voice is coming out of her fucking mouth and everyone is freaked out. This is a part where I'm thinking maybe ghosts are real guys. This is where I think it goes back and forth. Is she starting this fake, I can talk to ghosts thing. And then in the middle of being a fraud, I just think that was a ghost 
that that had to have been Alicia taking over her body for that moment. Because other, well, I guess never mind. They said the de- detective. They explained that. Yeah. yeah then, then I guess she's good at imitating voices. So also, Perot, also go the for power it. of suggestion thing you were saying too. If you're in the vibes and you're feeling the charisma, the Riz aura around Michelle Yeoh, maybe yes. you convince yourself that you heard her speaking in the voice of a little girl. You know? Yeah, dude. You're you're convincing me of this enough where I feel like maybe we should start some like Taibo level classes where we teach people how to use Riz aura <laughs> to control to manifest the things around them that <laughs> they want. We can actually in their life. change reality by just having so much Riz. Oh, exactly the church of riz if you i'm not can against it, it i'm not against it thank you thank you thank you thank you we're gonna uh, start is, a venmo is, wait is riz in taibo like is that a fundamental tenet of taibo no i just think we're our new uh exercise and not cult or religion is just gonna i was comparing it to something else very flim flammy I don't. I wouldn't describe it as the nation. I wouldn't describe it as flim flammy, but Tai Chi is kind of an example of that. Tai Bo. I was. I was thinking Tai Chi because Tai Chi is okay because those are very different. No, no, I know. (laughs) I'm saying I'm saying Tai Chi was like originated as an alternative healthcare for people that didn't have access to real healthcare. Totally. I'm saying Tai Bo is a black dude who stole a weird martial art and then bastardized it into something that upset the entire martial arts community but made soccer moms really excited it it was jazzercise (laughs) but called taibo fuck yeah it was baby (laughs) now high kick um so poro chases down joyce and he's like hey what the fuck and then they have this little interaction that we keep talking about like are you a fraud am I a fraud? And she talks about being a nurse in like world war one or some shit. And this whole tit for tat back and forth. Does this even matter if it's real? If I'm helping people, I'm not hurting anybody. Uh, and Oh, he gives, that's when she gives him the mask and the robe and is like, lighten up, dude, have some fun. And then she disappears. And when we see her again, she's impaled on a statue in the courtyard. Yeah. Also, Poirot almost gets drowned, but then the person realizes that he's not her. You're mm-hmm. right. Um, I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also yeah. wanted to talk about the because Patrick, you brought up the camera angles, the camera work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit earlier, so I, I kind of missed it a little bit, but there's a shot where the Poirot and someone else are looking up at Michelle Yeoh and the camera angle that they're shot with is like a, 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 I don't like God's eye view or what do they call it? God angle. Is this outside the door? There's it's looking up at the balcony. Okay. They're looking at they the balcony that up, and yeah. it's shot looking down at them. It's like a bird's eye view kind of, I don't know what that's called. It's like fisheye, but from the top, you know, <laughs> I know I, I, I obviously I don't know it now because I can't remember it, but I did at one point know the name for it. And it's because Every Star Trek The Next Generation episode that is directed by Jonathan Frakes has this camera angle in it, and I looked it up for that reason. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I, I thought you were going to bring up the, the camera angle for the fall of her getting impaled. That was good I'm pretty too. sure it was like through a doorway you saw it, and it only shows you enough to frighten you from the shock of it. It's almost a jump scare when it falls, and then you see 
about half of it impaled on this statue. Her. So knowing what we know now, do you think that maybe she was setting him up on purpose? That maybe she put that stuff on him to try and fake out the killer? No, I don't think she knew she was going to die. I think she just really did want him to lighten up. I thought it was weird that he did it. He's like, it didn't seem real to me that he would actually be like, maybe I will lighten up with this robing creepy. Now, oh, look at that. A bobbing for apples game that I can take part in by myself alone. Jesse, I just I didn't that, think he would do that. I thought it was precious. Yeah, I, I was. I wanted to hear what you were going to say, because it feels like was, something Jesse would believe. Yeah, it resonated with me pretty hard. I was like, oh, look at this big, strong, somber intellectual who finally has this moment alone and almost this autistic level of behavior where they would really like to participate and experience a thing without having to worry of being seen or judged. Yeah. Uh, no, he did like look around to make sure nobody would see him having fun. Yeah. <laughs> Which, dude, I relate to that um, for like 100%. But I was also going to add to that. I, I noticed that the way she put the mask and the robe on him was almost like um like romantic but not in a sexual way if that makes Mm -hmm. sense it was like a tender and almost like sensual way that she did it um so it almost felt like he was weirdly being like manipulated is sort of a charged word but he was sort of being pushed into it by like a sexy lady you know (laughs) i agree and i'm glad that you said like it was like almost this romantic vibe, but it not sexual. I would like to replace earlier. I said that they had like a almost sexual tension in their banter, but it was more what you're talking about. There's like a, like a flirty like a romantic flirt to the energy, but it didn't actually seem like they want to fuck. It was like, it was a very interesting dynamic. It would just being the two smartest people. They're dueling wits back and forth, but the energy is like flirtatiously charged. Uh, Fucking good. Shelly well, Oak, killing it. It's kind of a trope, but I mean, being extremely smart, you do tend to like alienate yourself from the rest of the world. I'm not saying this from experience. I'm not claiming that I'm some no, like, I know, I know. crazy intellect. I'm saying like people who are like that do tend to kind of like disconnect from the rest of the world sometimes. Yeah. And they watch Rick and Morty <laughs> and they own like four copies of Fight Club and they have and opinions they about to- the Snyder Cut. Oh my God, do they? <laughs> um, just kidding. Uh, um, yeah, that's a joke. I'm just saying I'm brilliant and don't have any friends, and that's why. Because I am so isolated by my brilliance. Yo, Jesse, you have more friends than anyone I know. <laughs> Thanks, man. I love people. People are cool. <laughs> um, Ch- Joyce, impaled on a statue. And the storm outside just rages harder and harder, as does the intensity inside the house. So right now, storm's so bad, they can't get a hold of the police. Phone lines are down. Can't get a boat in. Can't get a boat out. I think even the place you would tie up a boat uh, in a few like scenes past this movie breaks off and starts slamming into the house itself because the storm has gotten so bad. Um... And then we now we get into the main interrogation. Fucking Poirot drops the fucking gate to the front door, has the cop stand to guard the door, then has his bodyguard stand to watch the cop. Is that what it was? 
Am I mixing? I think I'm mixing two characters up. He made somebody stay at the gate and then had someone watch the person at the gate. The person at the gate was the fiance or fiance. Yeah. Cool. And then his ex cop bodyguard stood there to watch him and make sure he wouldn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And he says, motherfuckers, I'm Poirot. I am out of retirement and nobody's going to leave this place until I know who the fucking murderer is. And he interrogates everyone. I love that. I, there was a line where he said, like, <laughs> uh, call the police, tell them Poirot is on the case. And I was just yeah. thinking, like, that's the state of the Italian police at that point, that they're like, yeah, vigilante justice, sure. I mean, we don't really have the resources to deal with that, <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> oh, I just thought how cool it would be to be someone where you're just like, you don't work for the government or the city or the state in any way, but what they're like. Oh, fuck you. You got this. I mean, like, like not even fucking worried. Technically, what he did was kidnapping and imprisonment. <laughs> You're right. Wait, is this is this before the lines were dead? Because I don't remember them actually being able to call out at that point. No, they, yeah, the, they, they, they couldn't call out and the storm got so bad. They like couldn't get in a boat and leave or nobody could come in a boat to arrive and they couldn't call the police. Right. I, I thought but they he, do get a, I thought he told them to like call the police again or something. I don't know. No, he did. He I think that's when we found out the oh they could the line was down is like a, the ex cop. He's like, I would probably know the guy working at the station right now. And he walk, walks over, dials a number, doesn't go through. Yeah. And they hang up the phone and a call comes from inside the house. Oh, but that's when he uses. Yeah. He uses the secret phone because it's underneath like a serving. Oh, yeah. It was in a globe dome cover. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. In a globe. That's I was going to say that and thought I was being fucking high. Yeah. Secret globe phone. What's what's um, funny? I, God, this is no, please. so pointless. I should not be saying this, but they still sell those. You can still buy a phone that's in a globe. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. I saw I it. I would rather have a... What's up? Oh, I, I just was saying that I have seen it like with my own eyes. <laughs> I have a friend that very badly wants to buy one of those to have one of the cool, fancy bars inside of it. I could give I've you two guesses that. as to which one of my friends that was. Uh, but... Uh, so now they investigate. Uh, who do you want to start with? Or should I just? I like the I it? like the Wonder Twins. Yes, they're I, they're not that, twins, that, and they're not particularly wonderful. I don't know why I called them that, but I they're like either brother and they're like fake brother and sister, but they're just like they're half half siblings. They're <laughs> half siblings. Okay, yeah, that's right. Which is fake brother and sister. Well, they're just Roma. Kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's just kidding. what I think is so interesting about them is that um they could have very easily been jewish because this is you know post-world war ii but i mean a lot of people aren't familiar with the fact that the roma people were also persecuted under the third Mm -hmm. reich and um i just think that's like a really interesting and important story to tell in something like this and it's also kind of heartbreaking the fact that they we're like, we want to move to America. You know what I mean? It's like, obviously, they're just trying to improve their conditions or whatever. But I don't know. They just seem like kind of leaves being blown in the wind, more or less. Yeah, they're they're, they're scrappy young bucks that are going to do anything to get themselves in a better place. Um, And I like in that 
that scene, he tries, he separates them in two different rooms. This old cop tactic where he plays one against the other one. And he's like, oh, Nick, Nicky boy, Desdemina, Desdemina, Demana. I can't do this. Desi told us everything. So you might as well just give it up. Desdemona? Desdemona. Desdemona. That's why you're the smart one, Patrick. And it was cross cut (laughs) in a really like compelling kind of kinetic way. Fuck yeah, it was. A lot of quick cuts in this movie. Oh yeah, did we cuts. did we state out loud that Hercule Poirot is also the director of this movie? <laughs> no. I don't think we said it yet. But yeah. Hey he everyone, that thing. That's Kenneth Brana. He's the detective. So good job. I need to see the DP on that film was, who probably we should credit instead of the director, but I'll look that up later. Oh, uh, you were talking about how they started the investigation. I just wanted to say that uh, Tina Fey's character is also investigating with Poirot, uh, which she at this point is just like an author who kind of got famous by writing a book loosely based on him. So at this point, you're kind of like, oh, wow, this is like her dream, basically. You know, she's like a mystery writer who gets to be an actual investigator. Absolutely. She also is a character who has investment in Poirot because she's like me writing these novels that are like loosely based on you also upped your clout and prestige and like made you as famous as you are right now. So you fucking owe me was a sentiment tossed around in that movie at one point. Um, But yeah, they're like twins. They're not twins. Half siblings. (laughs) I kept thinking the same thing. You've been stealing from Joyce. The fake medium, because you want money to leave and go to St. Louis, just fucking admit it. And then we have Leopold. Let's see. Yeah, the little kid who's like, yeah, I hear voices and I talk to ghosts. And I think, oh, yeah, he also tells him like, oh, yeah, little kids. When this was an, uh, an orphanage, they locked him up in here and left him to die. Yeah. And so those are the the little those are the, the ghosts I talk to. Yeah. It's a bummer. Um it is a fucking it's bummer. Th- it's not clear if Leopold is I guess you could if you don't believe in the supernatural happening in this movie, like what is Leopold's deal? How is does he is he believing in this because he's a little kid and he's been told these stories and he lives in a in a house that everyone says is haunted, and it legitimately does have a boneyard of children's the graveyard of children's bones in like the basement part where the canal is. So like, it seems, it seems like it's not a big leap to go from like, you live in this kind of insane place to like, to that, to bleed into that. Like maybe your brain starts hearing noises and then interprets it as like children's voices. I, I think that that kid is talking to ghosts. Like I said before, I think it could just be explained by the combination of what Jesse was saying, the power of suggestion, uh, combined with just a child having to take on an adult level of responsibility and an incredible amount of stress inducing uh, hallucinations of voices and things. Right. Which, uh, yeah. You're right. I think that, again, I think this is the 15th time I've said it, but that's like one of the best parts of the movie is how we can have this conversation about 18 different moments in the movie. Um, I think that's such a perfect little balance. Uh, We have Maxime, who was not initially invited, um, but he broke after he broke off his engagement. 
Um, it was a little bit of a who even told him to to, to show up here. Yep. Oh, by the way, his fiance was Alicia, who is the dead daughter who Michelle Yeoh was supposedly talking to. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, Rowena's daughter, right? Ro- yeah, Rowena's daughter died, and they have the seance, and the medium that held the seance is now dead, and they're interviewing all these people about what happened, and they talk to the uh, ex-fiance. Um. And that's when it's like, who the, who the fuck invited this person? And he kind of deduces that pretty soon afterwards. Um, the last person he interrogates is Leslie, uh, severely traumatized by his experiences at the liberation of Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. Uh, he is secretly in love with Rowena. Is Leslie for, is he the doctor? He's the kid's dad. Yep, that's the, got totally. the shell shock. That's what I thought. I usually, or, yeah. They don't actually say it, but it's yeah. Kid, the his shell kid shock. describes it as something else. That For guy, battle fatigue. Do you guys, his son calls it something eloquent. Yeah, battle fatigue and whatever else they called it before PTSD. Do you guys know and about the, that actor? The little yeah, kid or the Jamie other guy, the sexy dad? Jamie Dornan. That's, what are you talking about? Jamie Dornan from what? The Leslie, right? Yeah, from like a lot of stuff. He's a. Uh, I think his main thing was Fifty Shades of Grey, right? <laughs> Okay, that was what I was going to oh, say, Jesus but Christ. do you know him from other stuff? Oh, yeah, he's, uh, he was in oh, the 2018 hit Robin Hood. <laughs> I don't think and Trolls World Tour. I mean, maybe I just don't watch a lot of movies, but it seems like he's mostly in horrible movies. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think he is mostly in horrible movies. <laughs> he was in something I just saw. I, uh, I, like. I, I just bring it up because I, I know we're jumping the gun, but we're talking about him. So there was a scene where he was getting drugged and like falling asleep and he just goes like, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm going to leave now. And then just like closes his eyes as if he's dying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did end up yeah, dying. There's but Leslie, uh, the shell shocked father who was also the old family doctor of Alicia before she passed away, has an interesting relationship with his spooky old spirited son, Leopold, where Leopold soothes his father's PTSD and takes care of him throughout the whole movie. And a sad, but also like very relatable way for me. And uh, I don't think it was overdone. I think they had a good relationship. I think that was a weirdly good kid actor. Yeah. Actually, again, known child actor hater, this kid was pretty good. Also, yeah. it was interesting having him next to Poirot because he kind of does seem like how Poirot would have been as a kid. For sure. He even says, I like, why are you reading that. Edgar Allan Poe? Shouldn't you be reading Dickens? And he's like, yeah, Dickens is kind of a goofball. <laughs> <laughs> um, boom. Interviewed all these people. And this ends up with us in the underground chamber full of dead children's skeletons. Uh, there's one scene in this where uh, Poirot bumps into like a wood beam and he turns and sees a skeleton and the skeleton's mouth drops open from the shake and like bees fly out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That was creepy. That was so confusing to me. Cause I was like, I guess, I mean, I don't, it's so weird. <laughs> In retrospect, I'm like, that had to be him tripping. 
Yeah. I got to rewatch that scene and see if anyone else like flinches. Actually, that's a good point, Jesse, because he would be thinking about the bees. He's like percolating on like, damn, what's this shit going on with the garden and everything and the bees and the honey. And then he's like, oh, shit, a skeleton. And then he sees bees come out of it. (laughs) You're so right. I didn't even put that together. Yeah. Is that before um, Maxine or Maxime? Is it Maxine or Maxime? Whatever. Uh, With a Maxime. Uh, is that before he cuts his thumb and uses and they use the honey? Or is that after that? Uh, I think it's after. Because that happens, I think, in his, uh, or right before his interview. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So then that makes sense why they they had to put the bees somewhere so that we have all the information as well. We just haven't put it together yet. But yeah, uh, it is a weird spot to have bees because it's not even by like the flowers. That's around yeah. the roof, right? And they're yeah. chilling in the basement, in the watery basement grave. That's what we're saying is we think that's a hallucination where the bees are outside where we get introduced to them originally. But Poirot is thinking all these things in the back of his head is what John was saying. And so, like, he's trying to dissect this whole riddle while he's actively doing something and he doesn't realize he's tripping. So he bumps into a skeleton and it, like, scares him and something from his subconscious kind of comes out because he's already like, oh, yeah, I heard they ripped up those flowers and it's weird. She has these bees and like. Oh, oh that guy weird. said the honey I, doesn't taste right. Because I thought they were actual bees. Like I thought like, I could see bees hiding in like a a, a cranium is like. Oh, weird! It's the exact uh, opposite of the spot. thing you were saying forty-five seconds ago. <laughs> no, I was saying it's weird that they ran into bees down there, but I thought they were real bees the whole time. I just thought it was weird they ran into them. Just skull bees, fair skull bees. Skull bees. Yeah. Uh, this is also where uh, Daddy Leslie has a fucking panic attack. And ends up fighting with ex-fiance hot Maxime, uh, where he almost stabs a man's head onto a giant shard of glass until his son talks him down. He almost ghosts him, like from the movie Ghost. Hmm, I haven't he seen him ghost style. There's a uh, scene like that in another thing we covered on this podcast, which is the Last of Us video game. Mm-hmm. Oh, gee, my brain heard the walking dead still <laughs> that's such a weird thing that just happened <laughs> yeah holy shit that did too. happen in 11 seasons yeah, you had to like smash a button to not get your face smashed on glass right yeah oh man i need to go back and play that other game <laughs> um so this big fight breaks out and son talks his dad down they're like bro you need to just sleep it off for a minute. You need to calm down. We're gonna. That's when they gave him medicine, and John said he looked like he was gonna die. Um, <laughs> it was bad acting. They, was the point I was making? Is he uh, he did a really bad job in that scene? <laughs> and he's like, "Thank you, son." And they lock him in this room where it seems like Poirot has given the only key to the room. And then he's like. Who the fuck did invite sexy Maxime, the ex-fiance, actually? Because that doesn't make any fucking sense. And then he puts it together. And he puts it together. He puts it together. And he's like, you know who'd fucking do this? My friend, the writer, a.k.a. Tina Fey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is this the part of the podcast where we talk about Tina Fey? Uh, yes, except I accidentally just said I mixed up two of my notes. Um... Oh, wait, no, I said Max. Oh, no, I got the name right. There's a lot of names. I'm worried about fucking it up. So, Patrick, thoughts on Tina mm. Fey? Oh, didn't do it for me. 
Oh no! I did not. I did not really like. I didn't really love her character. I just thought it was kind of boring. I thought she was a boring character. Oh! And I didn't think the performance was that great. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. It just was not one of the standout performances. Like after seeing Michelle Yeoh, um, who plays? Uh, let me see the other person. Ruina. Uh. Edit all this out. Yeah, Dornan, Jamie Dornan. Oh, and then the um, the uh, wait. So you liked nurse? Jamie Dornan? I liked his character. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting character. Like, the but like, what about his broken, performance? Broken Dead. I thought it was. I thought it was a believable performance for like a Broken oh, Dead. Man, I didn't think yeah, it, was it was like fine. clearly. I didn't think it was like overly developed character. But I didn't think Tina Fey's character was overly developed either. I thought I just I don't think anyone's character is overly developed. I feel like that everyone gets two to three interesting things that makes up their entire personality. And then they have (laughs) to be a comic strip character. Yeah, exactly. I thought I thought the mom was dad with PTSD doesn't for me. Um, Yeah, the mom was kind of interesting. But like Tina Fey just played Tina Fey in 1947. I feel like. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder. I know she's probably not in any of the other movies, actually. Never mind. I wonder if she is, because that would kind of. I don't kinda... think she, I don't think they reuse anybody in these movies, except Kent Branagh. Yeah, what I other movies? Right. Uh, oh, the other this, Poirot movies. This movie other ones? is the third in there's an anthology three. of Agatha Christie movies. Take it away, Patrick. Oh no, I was just telling John. There's there's uh, Death on the Nile is one right before this, and then before that is Murder on the Orient Express. I all star Kenneth Branagh. I heard about that. Those movies, yeah, and dude, they have stacked fucking casts, dude. It's like they do. Goddamn wild. Well, uh, Patrick, I love you so what did much. You think about You're my Fey, friend. Though? I thought, like Jesse said, all of these actors are being asked to do to play a two dimensional character and have a shtick and stick to it. And mm-hmm. uh, if that's the assignment, I think Tina Fey just objectively did a better job than Jamie Dornan. Um. <gasps> What? I mean, she had a lot more screen time. I think she was effective as like this. This character shows up, and we get introduced that Poro really doesn't have any friends, but this is someone he's exceptionally friendly with, uh, mostly because she's appropriating his life stories. To, um, but it's <laughs> yeah. enough of a familiarity where he's like, "Fine, I'll talk to this person," and then she like. We she she plays chess with him, and until like a pretty until eighty percent of the way through the movie, she's winning at chess with the smartest person that she's ever met or anyone in this movie has ever met. It's cute. It's cool. It works. I didn't expect her. I listen. Tina Fey is a funny person, and she oh, yeah. did not have a comedy script to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, but I still thought. Jonah- there were parts where it was an intentionally unfunny line that was funny because she said it. Um, mm. I I wish I could think of examples, but I don't know. It's just <laughs> like maybe I just am biased because I love Tina Fey too much, but I, I I don't know. I mean, I like her too. I like her as a comedian. Like I think she's I think she's great. I just didn't Wait, think that this Patrick. Role... If you think she's great, why is there a a, a noose with a stuffed doll of Tina Fey hanging? burned in the background of your zoom call right now i don't know what you're talking about i don't know uh, what you're talking about there's a, this po- is a you have a, this is a stock one poster this is a stock zoom background jesse 
next to your Rogue One poster is a down with Faye 2024. What does that <laughs> even with, mean? Oh, underneath that one that says up with Dornan? No, that's different. <laughs> that's not related. I don't know. I just think her character was just like not interesting to me from the beginning. <laughs> I don't know Patrick's, how else to say that. In so a, again, not, like in feminism. Did you know that she was the the culprit in the beginning? She's not really a culprit. She's just kind of. Well, what? I just I thought it was weird that she shows up right and that and convinces him to do this thing. I just thought she's trying to get her friend out of the slump, right, and invite him to the seance. It's going to be interesting. And you know, there's past history with this palazzo that he might find interesting. So I thought that was. You know, it's whatever. But like after that, you meet the other characters that are more interesting to me than her. And like she's just kind of in the background, like, what's her deal? You know, that's all, you know, that's a murder mystery movie. And you know that everyone has their part, their bit to play in like how the story evolves and changes and how Poirot eventually, Poirot eventually solves it. And I just thought hers was, uh, she wants to be, um, she just wants a more popular book because her last two books have been duds basically. And she needs him. I don't, I don't remember exactly why she, she needs him to sell the third book. I can't remember exactly. No, what. So she is so, uh, in, in the, in the middle of a writer's block that she's being judged so harshly for, she's trying to manipulate and inspire the most fabulous, uh, mystery with her inspiration Poirot so that she can just, verbatim turn whatever happens into a book because mm-hmm. she's like if i plant a seed with enough mystery whatever he does is gonna be worth writing about it's gonna be better than my last two books I, yeah All that's right. that's why i think she's interesting because it's like yeah she tricked him 100 percent, she did that but also like she was right about the fact that there was a mystery here that only he could solve and she manipulated him again harsh word into doing it and like fulfilling what he does as a person and also granting closure to all these different parties and like there was like three different people's lives who he essentially changed by Mm -hmm. intervening and she just pushed him into that granted it was kind of a selfish reason that she did it it was but like also it also did totally (laughs) accidental too i mean totally accidental also like it's not like i think she was thinking way smaller uh Way can you know way not crazy story that was gonna be that well, was gonna happen. Okay, but to also what eventually it was, did happen. She probably it, it was go, uh, go. She was looking at this situation, and I think she wasn't as clever as Poirot in that she could understand what was going on. She just intuitively knew that something was going on. She's like, okay, this story seems weird in a way that I can't really put into words or analyze, but I know a guy who can. And when he does, I'm going to write a book about it and make $2 million, which is the equivalent of $800 million in current day dollars. Yeah. That's crazy. That's not true. Uh, I was just exaggerating. You motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. So as we were just going over, a writer friend Mm -hmm. teamed up with ex-police bodyguard of Poirot. The ex-police officer leaked specific details of this crime to the writer who then was inspired to manipulate this weird thing to an even more supernatural degree. And she's like, if I can take advantage of this child's death and manipulate this phenomenal medium that like nobody can prove isn't real into this crazy twisty story, I will have the perfect 
uh, Poirot incapable of, of explaining supernatural, the, the supernatural world story to, mm-hmm. to, to fucking define the ages. And then uh, Daddy Doctor is found stabbed, locked up in his room. In the locked room where only Poirot has the single key. This is where it gets very clueish to me. Yeah. It's like, where were you? I was in the library with the purple handkerchief. It's like, that's where it started getting a little clueish to me. I love like it. Like, we asked everyone, I was in the bathroom with the yellow ribbon, the yellow ribbon key. And and as we're tying this whole uh, accomplices together, that that is also when the writer was like, you know what would make this more dramatic and saucy? If I had fucking ex-fiance show up at this crazy seance party. Uh, let's, and a fucking, oh, what was, sorry, I was just having a thought about something John said. Um... I think this is where it gets interesting is when the doctor dies because he's in the locked room and he's stabbed in the back and you know the person that you th- I, I thought was involved was because uh, that's when he's interrogating Tina Fey, right? Is when uh, the doctor gets stabbed um, or is he interviewing the mom? I can't remember. That's when he's Either talking way, to like, Tina Fey. Yeah, when he's talking to Tina Fey because that's when, when he's accusing her of like, you know, setting he figures out what she did, you know, organizing, orchestrating the whole how this party got going basically um i was like oh no maybe she did more than just you know need a new book like she needed she needed to kill people or something like she's lost it i don't know that's Mm -hmm. what started getting interesting to me and then trying to figure out how this guy was killed in a locked room by himself and i was like oh shit yeah this is actually like this is a cool mystery like i don't know this is a super fucking cool mystery yeah um he killed himself that's what happened Whoa, John, but we don't know <laughs> that yet. Jeez. That was not an option to me when I saw that happen. Was that obvious to you guys? No. No. Not I at did all. Not, I did not suspect. Uh, that's why I thought that was an interesting uh, plot twist because it's like you are assuming everyone is actually murdered. I mean, he's driven to suicide by someone who technically did kind of murder him, but uh, the way he did it was not expected to me. Yes. So Ugh. Leslie, dead in a locked room, sounded like there was uh, like uh, uh, an upsetting conversation, almost like rustling, and they can't get in. They open the door finally. He's dead. And mm-hmm. it takes a minute, but it's slowly put together. Nobody can make a call into this house. Nobody could have gotten into that room. So somebody made a call from inside the, the house to that room. And that's when Perot starts putting every single individual <laughs> deduction he has had together in a straight line where it all finally makes sense. And he's like, he uh, uh, gathers the remaining guests together and Poirot reveals that the mother, Rowena, is the murderer. Uh, dun, dun, ex- dun, dun, dun. And that's uh, just the first level because there's multiple levels to this, uh, like the blackmail there's four so many twists levels. in this movie. Yeah, the, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, what did of, you guys? I, oh, go ahead. No, uh, I was just going to say that John talking earlier, we kind of gave a, a hint that there are people involved in shenanigans that aren't actually murderers. And by the end of this movie, because of their shenanigans leading to a, a, a crime being solved, Poro is like, I'm going to let you all go. You're fuckers. 
but I figured this thing out and I gave some people peace and you can go. What were you going to say, Patrick? Um, I was going to talk about something else, but you just reminded me of some other topic, but like the, I really do like how the, when he, before he spills it up, before he spills it out or draws it out, like how, how everything went down. I love how the different characters all have different, usually have different motives to do the thing. That's why it's so hard to pick who did, like who actually did it. Right. And I, that's what I like about these stories is that everyone, even like, like the, uh, the, the, uh, ex fiance is like the worst guy there. Right. Like you think he's like, Oh, this guy like didn't even want to, he was just chasing money and blah, blah. But then like you find out you're wrong and Mm -hmm. everyone's different. Everyone's motives are seem plausible for, if that they could have done the murder right mm-hmm. for sure even but to I'll, the degree that like yeah they, they set up basically everyone to look like they could have plausibly done one or multiple of these murders yeah and then i was gonna say uh when poirot was given the tea and then he drinks it that's when i was like that tea's poisoned <laughs> like <laughs> something is wrong with the tea and oh it's going to be that's going to be a Something's going to happen after he drank the tea. And that's when he starts seeing the weird shit. That's that's interesting, Patrick, because I did not pick up on the tea. It just kind of made sense to me because his head was bleeding and shit. So I was just like, yeah, mm-hmm. someone gives you tea when your head hurts. I don't know. It doesn't make sense, but this is the only time that he's given something to like eat or drink. And it's like usually you you do. I would not trust anything I was given to eat or drink if I was a detective investigating a multiple murder scenario <laughs> and I'm trapped yeah. in a building with with the murderer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you That's for the I'm sandwich. Like, I'm okay. Do you have bottled water maybe? hundred <laughs> percent. Do you have anything without poison in it? I'll, yeah. I'll drink it straight out of the tap. How about that? No glass. 100% <laughs> straight. How, how about I just go get myself water outside? Yeah. Could you just from the, help from the me dirty to canal. the kitchen? 100%. I'm going to go get water from the baby grave real fast. I'll be back. Yeah, for sure. And the two Roma people get to go to America finally, which good for them, you know? Dude. Okay. So yeah, good for them. That's a cute little ending. It would have been funnier if that that movie ended horribly and they just don't know, you know, (laughs) because they only saw half the movie about kiss me in St. Louis or meet me in St. Louis or whatever. Uh Uh-huh. And like the mom says, oh, it ends beautifully. Or Tina Fey said, oh, it ends beautifully. Like it's a happy ending. It's like, what if it's like, oh, no, they get there and they hate it. It's all shitty and everything. Like, they moved to <laughs> Chicago. They're like, oh, no. That's what I was. Yeah, they're just, that's what I was wondering is is because, like, America is not known for being very kind to minority ethnicities. <laughs> Let's say. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, ah, I hope that works out for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Bring me your yeah. poor and your hungry so I can make fun of them. That's what it says on the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> uh cool deducing this whole mystery um poirot calls the mom out says she's the murderer he puts oh yeah with the teacup thing they just kept i kept seeing that teacup in the little girl's room and i couldn't figure out what it was but when he was drinking tea when poirot got served that tea i was like this has to he has to understand whatever the clue is about this teacup in the room Mm. and that is one of the weird things because we hear about how life is at the house very slowly. And I feel like fairly naturally throughout the movie where it's like, Oh yeah, we had these flowers uh, because somebody loved the, the daughter loved them, I think. And they specifically talk about ripping all those flowers out and replanting new flowers. They also talk about how weird it is. There's like a tiny 
tufa area where they keep some bees, but not a lot of bees, enough that it's like a ridiculous amount of time to get a reasonable amount of honey. And all these things are just slightly off throughout the movie. They're making tea at one point and someone's like, I found the sugar in the linen or the honey in the linen closet. Yeah. That's fucking weird. They also mm-hmm. say that she went to Istanbul where this plant is native. So she traveled mm-hmm. to Turkey to get it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the whole idea comes from, I guess we figure it out later. You're probably going to hit on it. No, it's from a movie play she was in. It was from the opera she was in, yeah. Her character uh, yeah. was like the king of poison or something like that. Marina, the- first starring role was in an opera. Yep, the king of poisons. That's a little uh, on the nose for me. I don't know. Fucking awesome. <laughs> I almost she's like, like it because like it's she's like... She's reading it and she's like, wait a minute. <laughs> right. She's just smart enough to be like, I didn't research anything new, but luckily I've come across this in my life. Um, Listen, back in the day, you didn't have internet. So fair. All you could do was you only had your own experience. Exactly. (laughs) You got to walk up to strangers like it's a drug deal and be like, you know, uh, you know anything about making a poison poisons? You know where I can get some poisons? Hey, yo, I heard something about Jesus. You know anything about that? Does that ring any bells? (laughs) What's the deal with this Jesus stuff? (laughs) Also, you know about poison. Um... You'd have to go to the library, right? You'd be like, I'm looking for the poison section, <laughs> section. but not for to make it, just to be prepared. I think- so I can know what to avoid, what to not keep in my house. I have a daughter. I'm thinking about when like people couldn't even read, like when poor people weren't allowed to read. Oh, Jesus. I want to think about that. <laughs> um, so Mommy Dearest is using these new flowers she painted in the garden with her bees with this special rhododendron where did i put yeah i got it right with a special rhododendron where it has a hallucinogenic poison property that gets concentrated when bees make honey with it so she as a controlling mother who doesn't want her daughter to leave her and feels like fulfilled when she's taking care of her daughter uh after this uh, after she, I believe, ignites the breakup with her fiance, fucking takes care of her and is slowly incapacitating her by poisoning her with this hallucinogenic honey with just the right amount to like keep her bedridden and keep her dependent on her mother because this is what her creepy mother needs to feel useful. Uh, and the caretaker of Alicia was watching her one night And when she was having a particularly bad trip, made her tea with extra honey in it. And that was the night her mother came back to find her daughter dead in bed. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, Fearful that she would be exposed, she stages her daughter's suicide. And then the blackmail threats begin. No comment. That's fine. Because... (laughs) It's After the kid. That, <laughs> it's the kid. I thought I thought it was super sad that the uh the nurse um was the one who gave like the fatal dose of the cuz she was just making sweet tea or what was the chamomile tea? I forget what they said. Yeah. Whatever the tea was. It was sleepy but, oh, time. Was, sleepy sleepy it was like, dirt nap it's like time tea. Copa copper copper tone tea whatever. Yeah, it that was it. <laughs> whatever the tea, tea was. Tea. Um yeah, like, and you could see, that's like, I thought her, she was like, seemed super sad. Like, I didn't know. And it's like super sad to me. I don't know. 
And so this whole time that was um, the mother who killed Joyce, right? The mother who killed. Well, technically, she didn't kill her. She was just like Munchausen by proxying her to keep her to herself. But then the nurse accidentally killed her. Joyce, right? Wait, is the Joyce the nurse? The the medium who pushed the medium off onto the statue. Yeah, that was the mom. Was, was, that was oh, the mom. mom. Yeah, that yeah. that was after the yeah after after her daughter died. It's like all bets are off. She's just gonna kill anybody she wants now. Yeah, so she ends up killing two people in the middle of this seance to be able to speak to her daughter one last time. Um, and the movie's like wrapping up. He's confronted everyone fucking schooled everyone on every inconsistency of their stories this whole movie i know you set me up here i know you're working with the cop i know you fucking pulled off all these murders i know how you killed the guy locked in the room by himself i know about the honey you're fucked up fuck you i'm Poirot. i'm fucking out and he chopped an x over his groin and dabbed um which is my favorite part of the movie to be honest but i remember that part uh, it was good yeah and then he said Poirot gonna give it to you and then he left <laughs> 100% oh dude the end of this movie is really fucking cool and then he he um, like mimed as if he was holding a mic and dropped it yeah he actually 100%. just ripped his mustache off and threw it in the face <laughs> of uh, somebody and then he dabbed no that was he grabbed down by his neck and pulled off a 3D printed mask and oh, it was Tom it Cruise was, it was Ethan Hunt yeah 100% <laughs> the whole time that's actually going to be super cool for the next Mission Impossible movie when they talk about how Ethan Hunt is a timeless deity. Yeah. They're just going to have... <laughs> and it sucks that we talked about all this other bullshit that doesn't matter and kept like left this till the end because this is like really the best part of the movie that kind of makes it. Like If you're not bought in at this point, when he like you know does all that, you, you're, you're in, baby. You're like, oh, it was you're, all you're, worth it. It was all worth it. This you're whole ready, ready to it. wait another year yeah. for the next one to come out. <laughs> Any problems that you have in it are completely excused when you're you like, don't even it was remember Ethan them. Hunt pretending to be Poirot. <laughs> like, it's so genius. It's so genius. And I do like, I'm not really sure, do you think when we see Vin Diesel at the very end, is that like a cameo, or is it supposed to be like, this is going to tie in with the Fast and Furious in the next movie? I thought it was time travel, personally. Um, since oh, the yeah. movie doesn't foreclose supernatural things, time travel is also not out of the question. That makes so much so sense. So it's actually what Vin Diesel, the actor in the movie. Oh. He's playing himself. It's crazy. Okay. These these end credit scenes have gotten so long. It's actually a standalone movie now. Almost. That's what they're doing. It's just like 10 minutes of credits, five minute scene. 10 minutes of credits, five minute scene. It's so good. It's my favorite. I fucking love it. Oh, this next movie's gonna slap, dude. Oh, just you have to uh, talk about the one thing we didn't talk about is you think it was a. I actually do think it was an actual ghost at the end. Well, I don't know. Now I don't know. I think it was not a ghost. I think oh, it was yeah, drug right. tea. I skipped over the literal la- like second to last thing that happens, which is fucking Poirot like chases the mom through the house after confronting her as the murderer. And then mm-hmm. she's like on the top floor, I think in the daughter's room and starts backing out backwards onto the balcony. And mm-hmm. then her daughter's ghost shows up and yanks her punk ass off the balcony and throws her into the fucking river. Drags her down the, like the river. And then like, also drags yeah. her down the river. John. Yeah. Poirot pushed her. But what's weird oh, is we fuck. don't see we see we see the ghost in the water dragging her down, and that's something Poirot couldn't see. 
So that means it was a ghost, right? No, that doesn't mean that. Poro that means w- he imagined it. And he's he is the That was not from his perspective. I think oh this whole God. movie could be from his perspective. Is he taking a nap still? He had too many pastries. He actually just passed out on his roof and dreamt this whole movie up. No, no. I he just he, drank he, tea. He's in like a then... sugar-induced coma right now. I think he has too much honor to push someone off of the house to, and be a murderer. But if he was under the influence never. of a drug, I mean, who oh knows? Oh, my God, John. This 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 podcast is over. John's off the podcast. The fuck can we, out of this can we get to our reviews? Because I actually have something else to say about this. Yeah, and then the literal last thing that happens in the movie is Poirot. Poirot, Poirot it's really Poirot, hard to say. I don't house. know how to say it. He privately exposes, he goes to the child uh, who has now lost his father, and oh. he's like, dude, Leo, I know you were sending the blackmail letters to the mom. And the kid's like, yeah, bro, I figured out that she did this so long ago and my my dad my family needs money my dad's not doing fucking good and so i just sent the first one as like this ain't even this probably ain't gonna work and then it worked and i just kept sending blackmail notes to get money from this horrible lady and he kind of shows like empathy and it's like you're a kid and you tried your best and you solved a thing like faster than i could solve this thing and like sorry you lost your dad but we Maybe. were talking about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, please, please, please. please. When we, we very the beginning, we talked about. I think John brought up about these. Uh, Poirot meets these two women who are on his level that he did not expect to meet, and I feel like we left one person out, which is the kid, who is basically kind of like a little Poirot, or like I think Poirot sees himself in Leopold, the little kid, and mm-hmm. putting all this stuff together as a kid. I don't know what Poirot's upbringing was like, but it probably was not great because he doesn't have fun ever. But uh, except for when he's by himself with a robe and a mask on. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I thought that was really good. And I felt so bad for the kid because of the unintended consequences that blackmail letter had, which is basically he signed his dad's death warrant almost, you know? Yeah. There's a, there's a fucked up like sharing of these different responsibilities through like, well, me and you set this up to bring everybody here. And then like the kid set him up. And then like John was saying, the caretaker is actually technically responsible for this thing it paints different levels and kinds of responsibility in this incident that are contrasting and complex um and uh it and it ends with the caretaker taking young leo with her says she'll take care of him and poirot says Maybe you take some of them. Oh, the kid goes, I have so much money now. I don't literally know what to do with it all. <laughs> and, <he's, laughs> and then he's like, maybe you could give some to the, the wonder twins because they would love to move to America and like start a good life together. Funny if he was like, no, I think I'll keep it myself. And then he's like, <laughs> the, the end credits roll. Fuck. Yeah. And now poor back in business, baby to the recap and review section. What were we going to say, Patrick? Oh, I thought John was going to go first. No, he is. I thought you were going to say something. Never mind. To the recap and review section. John, lay it on me. What other thought did you want to go over that we missed? We do normally start with Patrick. I mean, I don't want to step on any toes, but. Oh, I thought I thought you had a. Oh, this, you, you just wanted to do your review? Yeah. Do your recap it's, review? Okay, it's okay. part okay. of this my week, review. I'm the host. Fuck Patrick. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. I'll do my review. Okay, go ahead. Oh, you want to go? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, you go first. Okay. I 
thought this movie was all right. But I have a secret message for everybody, which is you have all the clues you need, Mr. Policeman. I'm waiting for you. Ghosts are real. Ghosts aren't just real in this movie. Ghosts are real in real life. I have been a skeptic for most of my life, saying ghosts don't exist. They're fake. But this movie, I watched it literally a couple days before accepting the truth of spiritual beings into my life and believing in ghosts. So while I watched it the first time and I wasn't a huge fan of it, the entire thing is recontextualized for me now. Ghosts are real. This movie gets seven out of seven good. Oh my god. Seven out of seven weird. Seven out of seven great. Thank you. John, what happened to you before what? your second viewing? Did of he this just film? get was John is John possessed? He just did the triple seven. Beep, 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 beep. He started this movie. There there has to be something wrong. Look at his Something's eyes. Something's wrong with John. This isn't right. This isn't like you, John. This isn't. You giving this a triple seven? He hasn't blinked the entire movie? podcast. I just realized this. I think this is AI, John. Oh no! So, do we have a mystery to solve? This is Chad. Someone kill John, John and replace John with AI John. What? It's Joan. <laughs> Jesse Hercule Satan is on the case. This is Joel jo- Roll. I uh, spaced out. What were you guys talking about? Uh, uh, nothing. Not talking about anything. Are, are we doing third. our reviews or what's happening? No. Uh, yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. You just gave a triple um, seven review. You want to oh. give your review? Um, my review. Yeah. Oh, uh, Why well, don't you? Go I mean, first. usually we start with Patrick, so maybe we should do his first. I don't know what's going on. Okay, Patrick, you can do your review real quick, and then we'll get to John. Okay, uh, yeah, so my review is this movie was okay. I thought it had some good parts as a spooky, scary movie that was haunt- uh, the haunted house I loved. Loved the shots, um, kind of creepy looking shots, fisheye lens, bird's eye, god's eye view, stuff we saw. Characters a little flat to me, some, some of them underdeveloped, but overall, pretty good murder mystery whodunit Poirot movie. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it five and a half out of seven. Good. It was a little weird, so I'm gonna give it six out of seven. Weird, and then maybe five out of seven. Great. Kingdoms. Solid. Do you want to watch the other movies? Who me? I've seen them all. Oh, never mind. Saint is John. Give me your review. What did you think of this um, movie? We'll say five goods, five weirds, two greats. Two greats. That's fair. That's fair. Um, do you want to watch the other movies now? Yeah, I do. Fuck yeah. Me too. Um, any final words, John? No. I uh, thought this movie was so much fun. Uh, the house was a great character. And it was a solid character in this movie. Uh, The movie had the writer cop twist. The movie had the mom cop twist. The movie had the kid. I just said cop twice. The movie had the writer cop twist. The movie had the mom twist. The movie had the kid twist. The movie had the ghost twist. This movie was twisty as fuck. 
and I loved it. Um, can't wait to watch the next movies. I there was a bird in this movie. The little girl who's dead had a bird, and I really thought it was gonna have a bigger role in this movie. I don't actually think the bird had any yeah. role in this movie at all. It, it noticed when the seance lady, Michelle Yeoh's character, talked in the voice of Elisa or whatever, Alicia. Mm-hmm. And remember the bird said like, Alicia. Like it recognized her voice. Dude, okay. And that was that supposed to like give evidence- like credence, but I think the bird was underutilized for sure. Fuck, yes, it was. And now that makes me think that she was really fucking possessed at that beginning scene. I'm going to give this movie fucking great Good, great, great, good, six good, out of weird, seven, great. good. I know, I was trying to think of which one I wanted to start with, even. Um, <laughs> hyping myself up. Uh, six out of seven, good. Seven? Seven out of seven, good. Fuck this, I'm not coward. Weird? Four out of seven, weird? Five out of seven? Five out of seven, weird. Fuck this, I'm not a coward. Great. Hmm. <laughs> Jesse could do the Four, podcast by himself. Five out of seven, great. <laughs> Four out of seven? Five out of seven, great. Send it. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you would like to write us an email, I'm pretty sure our email is goodweirdgreat at gmail.com. And we don't have any other social media because they're all bad. Uh, but if you did want to get a hold of John on the internet, where could they find you? Whisper into the wing of a robin and thrust him forth into the world and let him fly where he may. And eventually in his long days of living and enjoying life, he shall land upon a tree beside me as I eat on the bench. And then he shall deliver your message unto me. Yeah, that's what we say every week. That's and- the quickest way to get a hold of John. <laughs> scheduling for this podcast is so hard uh i'm jesse underscore wind on all social media uh be jealous patrick do you want people bothering you uh absolutely not only through uh the podcast email robin right if you're as- listening whoever listens to this anymore <laughs> please just send it just send an email so we know that someone listens to this prove yeah. your existence to us our yeah. double digit number of fans. One of you write an email because we miss you and we care. But until next week, same good time, same weird place, same great podcast. Wait, when you're lost in the haunted house, haunted house, Palazzo. I hope you brought your rubber shoes. You pizza the palazzo. Your galoshes so you can wade through the water. You better have a detective around if someone gets murdered. Extra pastries. It's podcast time. It's podcast time.